0: Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot Michael with Hutton and Withrow rolls on on this Monday. Plenty to discuss. Aaron Rodgers responds and backs Nathaniel Hackett and what John Payton said about him uh, last week. We've got cameras rolling as the Jets continue to host free agents because Rodgers took a pay cut of $35 million. His comments on that and more coming up later in the show. Charlie Arnott will join us in about 20 minutes from now. And uh, we'll get into a variety of topics there with uh, UFC and also uh, judges ruling. Chad's bringing a great one based on some box office hits and uh, what's hitting in debate right now on social media uh, among those that have seen and probably not seen certain films. Uh, Chad, also, Jonathan Taylor running back for the Colts and the Indianapolis Colts going back and forth through Ursay, who's, I mean, Jim Ursay is... Fascinating to me, because he's one of the 32 owners, and most of the time, he's quiet. Like There are some big moments, though, where he's not. NFL owners meetings, when it matters, I'm glad he speaks, because he's really the only one we hear from, on what happens behind closed doors. And even with with no regard, it didn't seem like for his comments about the inappropriate talk that was coming from the Zoom meeting among running backs, he had to kind of go back and say, in no way was I discussing or trying to say I was downplaying our own running back in Jonathan Taylor. Well, of course, Taylor's going to take it the the opposite way when the owner for the, the team he plays for is saying that the, the structure is fine and it was collectively bargained and we move on. His agent is going to take it the, the a, a bad way as well with the, an angle of, hey, you want to talk about bad faith? Bad faith is not... Paying your best player on your team, especially on offense, moving forward. We're now in this stalemate where the Colts are threatening to put Jonathan Taylor on the non football injury list for something that was reported a back issue, uh, complaining about uh, his back hurting from something in his offseason training on his own in Arizona. Taylor's saying there's nothing wrong with him, although he's on the physically unable to perform list currently. Uh, the assumption is it's because of off-season ankle surgery, but I think by now over the weekend and how things played out after the meeting on Ursay's on bus, it's just not that simple to point to the injury and say this is all it is. Chad, but this is all it is in the grand scheme of things because this storyline is yet another example about in the NFL specifically, unless you're a top-tier quarterback, you really hold no leverage when it comes to getting what you deserve. I'm on the player side of where the money rests. No one ever complains about the billionaire owners unless their team is losing and the owner is not making a, 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 an effort to go out and acquire top tier talent or not firing the coach or firing the coach too soon, whatever it might be. Uh, they complain about the players and what they're making versus the production or what they're doing for the fantasy teams or what the coach is or is not doing. In this case, though, this was collectively bargained. This is a setup where the, it's really a very small percentage of players at the position that are complaining about it because the players beneath guys like Taylor and others at their spot, the true starting caliber backs, the bell cows, other than those guys, it is a group of players that are just scrapping and clawing to find a roster spot. Not only are they playing running back, they're they're playing special teams as well. They're looking for that weekly game check, just like Saquon Barkley is, and why Saquon Barkley was complaining about not getting the long-term contract extension. But guess what he did after the Zoom meeting that took place, where there was really no recourse for what they were complaining about? The the Giants, to their credit, did something we haven't seen in a while on a franchise tag. They gave him more than what they had to, based on how this is all structured. But it wasn't much. It was an extra million in the grand scheme of things. It, it was less than whatever the Raiders apparently offered Josh Jacobs, who's not in camp as well. And that, therein lies the, the big issue. If you're going to try to do this, the timing of this is crucial. And I think it shows the lack of leadership at the very top. Doing this after the deadline to negotiate long-term extensions and doing it in a makeshift Zoom meeting where Austin Eckler's putting things together after leading the league in touchdowns over the last two years combined Doing this when they did it is no real uh, reason for optimism if you're a player because you're going into the season where guys need to get paid weekly. That's how they, that's how they do it over the next four or five months here. You're not going to sit out. You're also not going to sit out training camp and get fined $40,000, 50000 per practice missed. That's not realistic. And it's unrealistic unless you have the proper leverage and timing and you play a certain position to expect you're going to get anything different than what has happened here, where it's show up and play, or we move on. And that's what Ursay's is saying. That's the harsh reality of where we are. Even though the players at the top aren't wrong, they don't have the support needed, regardless of what's being said publicly. The guys that are saying things publicly on behalf of uh, a player sitting out like Josh Jacobs, and in this case, Jonathan Taylor, those same guys are at practice playing for the contracts that they're currently under. And unless it's the top-tier quarterbacks... Unless it's your top guys, they're also sitting out on behalf of you, which they're not going to do. There's not much you can do, but just show up and play or don't. And Taylor's in a bind here because he knows if he plays well, he'll get the tack. And if he doesn't, he's not going to get much of an offer on the free agent market a year from now compared to what we have seen top-tier talent at his position make over the last decade. The future decade of this, I don't think, Chad, we're going to see many players step up and want to play running back at the the middle school, high school level because the star talent on their TV screens every week are going to be across the field playing corner, playing wide receiver, playing quarterback, of course, rushing the passer. It's different now, and it's just unfortunate for a running back crew that's extremely productive, playing for teams that rely on them heavily to not have much of a voice because, for the most part, the PA is voiceless.
1: Certainly. It's, it's a rough go for the running back. My argument, if I'm Jim Ursay though, would be, yes, we do rely on you heavily within this offense. But, Jonathan, you've, you've been here three years, and we haven't won since you've been here. Why have we not won? Why, why would you, Jonathan Taylor, say that we haven't won? And I would think Jonathan Taylor, being a smart football guy, would say, because we haven't found the right quarterback. And if I'm Jim Ursay, I say, bingo. Well, two things,
0: though. That's what makes the team go. This is, to me, this is the example of why you haven't won. You've hired a coach in Frank Wright that went 27 plays without giving me the football. And then you replaced him with Jeff Saturday. Like, there there are other things to point to along the way that have nothing to do with Taylor, but do point to his value. Um, He is one of the top backs in the league, but again, he's not at the very top, and he's you know, a second-round pick where he's scheduled to make a little over $4 million this year. But he wants the extension because he wants to get paid. He he would play under the tag, by the way, for $10 million right now, just like we're seeing with Tony Pollard, because that's a different
1: tier of pay than what they're getting right now. Well, I mean, look, I think that his being good is mm-hmm. an example for Ursay, though, is my point, because he is very good. He is top-tier. But I would argue to Jonathan Taylor, if we had a, a quarterback that you're equivalent mm. at 24 years old that was top tier, we'd have gone to the playoffs the last two years. With Frank Reich as the coach who made that mistake. Frank Reich's been to the playoffs. like He's not a terrible coach. He got another job. He's made bad decisions. But it's about the quarterback way more than your position. And I know this is difficult to hear because you are a big part of our offense and what we do, but you're not a quarterback. And many would argue you're not a left tackle in the league right now in terms of importance of of what we need to do. So this is where you are right now. Deal with it. I I don't like that if I'm Jonathan Taylor. I don't believe that if I'm Jonathan Taylor. That's why, hey, this may not be the hottest hot mic take ever. I agree with both these guys. They both have a point. But here's where the point has to end. Jonathan Taylor is an employee under contract. And Jim Ursay is the owner and his boss. And Jim Ursay was the one with the other 31 owners that negotiated with Jonathan Taylor's player rep on a collective bargaining agreement. So the the trump card here for Jim Ursay is: look, man, we negotiated this out. I'm playing by the rules here. We liked you enough to draft you in the second round. You've been a great player here. We love your contribution. This is where the running back position is right now in the NFL. And we want you to be a part of the Colts. We want you to keep doing your thing. We'll certainly continue to discuss what's to come moving forward. But if you think that we're going to go back and renegotiate a CBA to make things better for you on the contract year or on the franchise tag, it's not happening. I mean, and at some point, someone's going to have to take a deep breath and go home for a weekend and let it sink in and decide what they want to do next with their career. Again, both guys have their points and are right. But ultimately, Jim Irsay is the one that's more right based on where things are right now. It's unfortunate for the running back, but we're not hearing this level of complaining from the rest of the league. Now, are we going to get to a point one day where every position goes up against quarterbacks and what they're getting paid, and then everyone's disgruntled because quarterbacks are making far more than every other position, then maybe we got something on our hands where something needs to get renegotiated or something needs to be done because there's a threat of a strike with every position that's not quarterback. Okay, then maybe you have something. But some running back uprising, even with the best in the league, not going to mean a hill of beans to NFL owners in the long run. Well, they just
0: won't. They're not complaining about quarterback pay. They're complaining that the tag goes from $10 million to 18 for any other position other than kicker or punter. That, that's that's a big gap, and it's based on the structure that was collectively bargained, yeah, th- and look, that, that, uh, they, that goes back to 2011. They have
1: every right to complain, but one position group, unless it's quarterback, is not going to move the NFL to change the CBA or change the way things are right now uh, and, uh, because uh, they're d- disgruntled. Uh, uh, this may not end
0: uh, any time soon because the, the threat of moving him to the non-football injury list, he's on the physically unable to perform list based on the ankle, but then Mike Chappell – uh, with uh, the Indy stars also saying like, Hey, there's also this back issue. That's they're, they're pointing to from off season work. If he's moved to, so everything's covered in his contract currently because he's on the PUP, if he's moved to the non-football injury list and they're going to point to something that happened off of non football related, which would be training, which is football related. If they can point to that training in Arizona, that's where it gets murky, but they can actually take money back from his contract. So this threat of putting him there on that list is a threat to give him a pay cut on what he's getting now, which is also going to leave him angry and upset. And by the way, Zach Moss broke his arm today. He's the backup for Taylor and Indy. He's out at least four to six weeks based on recovery. Chad, what's going on in Miami with the Hurricanes program and what we're seeing from uh, John Ruiz and he's basically their team owner, Mm -hmm. their program owner, and financially – how this is a, uh, a, a, a tale of maybe caution for other programs that are looking at this in real time.
1: Well, you've got to be comfortable who you get into bed with. And John Ruiz uh, is the most upfront, uh, he's the focal point of NIL. When, you, when I say NIL and ask you to name a person that's involved with it, John Ruiz is probably the first or the second name that comes to mind because of what he's done with Miami And the Hurricanes and getting Nigel Pack signed to an $800,000 endorsement deal with LifeWallet. And LifeWallet is where things get a little bit slippery because LifeWallet had projected to make $973 million last year. And instead they reported earnings of $23.8 million. And now LifeWallet is under federal investigation for John Ruiz and others misleading investors about the actual value of the company and what's to come moving forward. Now Miami is arguing, I saw interviews today with some people that, hey, it went from about 20% of our NIL endorsements were through Ruiz to about 10% this last year. Not a big deal. We're going to be fine. There's another Miami Hurricanes Collective that's doing very well. That may be the case. But I do believe the cautionary tale here is if you were going to associate your brand and your athletic department with one name or with one business... You better hope that name or business is never muddied up. And that's what's happened here with John Ruiz. Because when that happens, suddenly people start to think, oh, it's not just Life Wallet that's a scam or that's being investigated federally. It's the Miami Hurricanes defensive line. This is another bad situation. This is Nevin Shapiro all over again in Miami as a booster. This is a problem for Miami Athletics. Now, the Hurricanes are getting out in front of it, saying he's just a small part of the NIL package. Smart of them to do that. And I don't know that I can point to any one person or one company that is so in line with NIL for a single school that this could be a problem. But to me, this is a warning that if you are going to partner with one company or one person – they better be completely on the up and up or it will tarnish your own brand as well. And Hutton, that's why most of these schools have collectives. They're associated with that, partner with a bunch of businesses and a bunch of boosters. So there's not one neck on the chopping block if things go south. There's not one company associated with one program because then when that happens, things can become trouble. I mean, think about Mario Cristobal. He's coming out last
0: week saying, you know, all the... the tough talk on social media, um, you know, the trolling on social media about NIL and the complaining, like you have to be open to it. The rules are what they are and you have to embrace them or not. Let's deal with it. And he's, but he, he's got the guy that can help him do that. Right. He can speak that because of John Ruiz, not because of the university of Miami. Yeah. Uh, the U so it's, I'm eager to see what happens of this. And if, you know, they start to form and publicly, uh, push more of a collective effort than just one name. Chad, uh, there's certainly money at Texas, and there's value in players for the Longhorns who are third string. Arch Manning, third string quarterback at best right now, just set a record in name, image, likeness through Panini. their um, uh, uh, cards and uh, playing cards. A one-of-one one on this collection where he signed this card and auctioned it off. 36 bids. The winning bid went for $102,000 and change. It's the largest open auction on a card in the company's history, and Arch Manning is not going to get a dime from it because he's donating all of it to the Health Foundation through St. David's Foundation supporting uh, the Austin area uh, for health causes because he vowed through his family he's not going to take any money until he's actually playing. Big time.
1: This is going to be great for his long-term brand. That's the first thing I thought of. I like Arch Manning more now, and this is great for his public image. And if his
0: brand hits 100,000, will look like chump change. Pennies compared to what this kid has coming forward. Charlie Arnold next on Hot Mic.
2: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
0: Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network rolls on very special guest charlie arnold joins us on the show each monday great to have you back hope uh, the weekend was great
2: yeah i'm actually like really upset because i look so pale right now i got like this beautiful tan at the beach but i guess like only my arms are tan and my face isn't so i look like a ghost right now but you know what
1: we'll blame we'll blame it on the light i'm just jealous you were at the beach charlie that's what we're jealous yeah. about so congratulations <laughs> on your beach trip
2: yeah it was it was fantastic new york city was like a like the literal furnace this weekend. So there was no choice but to escape.
0: Chad had heat stroke this weekend.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I had to lead the 8U softball <laughs> tryouts no. and I threw about 500 pitches to little girls in a tryout. And um, I got down to about eight or nine girls left and had to turn to the side and tell another dad that was coaching, I said, uh, Ryan, I need you to take over and just tossed him my glove and went and laid down underneath the tent. And about an hour later, I went home and I threw up and then felt better after that, (laughs) after laying in the cold for a while. So I I overheated. I think that's what happened. It hasn't happened since I was like 11 or 12 years old playing travel baseball. I just got way too hot. And it it got to the point where I I was sweating so much, I started to get cold. Like I was out of Uh, sweat. And then when I got home, I was shaking because I had stopped sweating about two hours before.
2: Yeah, you know what? Interestingly enough, like a few years ago in New York, I was walking and it was at that point, it was summer of 2019. It was the hottest summer on record at that point. I don't know about anymore, but anyways, I was walking back from dinner to my house and next thing you know, I wake up and there was like three people hovering over me and they're like, you, you fell over. Like I must've just completely collapsed. And I had blood running down my neck. So I had like cut up my chin really badly. I still have like some scarring underneath, but I'm just so grateful. Because I mean, I essentially face planted, they told me, and I, my teeth were fine, no broken bones. I'm like, that could have ended very badly. See,
1: I just hear that must've been a hell of a dinner. That's what I, when I hear that (laughs) story, I'm like, must've been a hell of a dinner.
2: It was Mexican food. And I would love to say that I consumed like eight margaritas, but I didn't, uh, it was just like a really hot week and I was not drinking enough water. So similar to you, I just, that was it.
1: (laughs) There was a a point, Charlie, where I fed and I wasn't doing this or someone would have said something and stopped me. But I felt like, have you seen the videos of the marathon runners? Like there was that one, the first ever marathon, the first ever women's marathon, the women at the end that had gone through like such exhaustion that they were walking all staggered like. They were so tired and they're like walking to the side and like their heads tilted over. I felt like I was about to start walking that way off the mound at one point. Thank God I didn't. But that, that was the image I had in my head is like, I'm going to walk to my car in this little league parking lot like one of those marathon runners that nearly die by the end of the marathon as they cross the finish line, that was going to be me. But luckily oh it was God. not. I've saved my vomit for when I got home, so that was great. <laughs> and cameras on Thank goodness rolling.
2: for you yeah. and everybody else, exactly. right?
0: Exactly, yep. Charlie Arnold with us, uh, OutKick host, and a very special guest to Hot Mike with Hudden Withrow. Chad, you have the judge's ruling uh, proposition for us this week.
1: So this has been kind of a, which I find funny, but a bit of a hot-button issue with the Barbie movie. So you you saw the Barbie movie. I've I, not seen. I finally it. saw it. Hut and I have seen Oppenheimer. We've not done the Barbenheimer uh, no. mix yet. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it, it's a movie that has generated, uh, I guess, some controversy from certain corners where people are upset about the messaging behind it. Um, I, I hear Barbie and I think, well, it's a movie about a doll. Like how you know into it can they get? You saw the movie, Charlie. Is it fair for people to be upset with Barbie?
2: Okay, so I'm glad that we're talking about this because last week I remember we talked about the phenomenon of the movies coming out and I had not seen Barbie yet, so I wasn't able to really comment. Um, Let me just first say, I had no desire to actually even see the Barbie movie. I went solely from the perspective of I want to be able to talk about it and understand like the different sides and emotions people are experiencing, which is why I went. Uh, I walked into the movie, kind of similar to you, Chad, being like, What's everyone so upset about? It's a Barbie movie. Like what the hell is going on here? So I walked in with the most open mind that I possibly could to be like, this is going to be a great movie. It's going to be cute. I'm a girl. I'm going to love it. And I, at first I was, you know, I was like, okay, okay. Like it was very satirical and, um, you know, That was fine. And I, I understood that, but the more kept going on, I mean, they were just hammering home certain issues, like to the point where you're like, Holy crap, shut up. It was, it was the messaging was horrible for me. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself to be like a, uh, like ultra feminist. Like I appreciate women having equal rights and, you know, being able to accomplish everything they can that their male counterparts do. But this was like taking what I consider like the most toxic aspects of, uh, feminism, uh, basically that like, you shouldn't let a man get in your way for anything. And the only way to do that is to tear him down so you can build yourself up and, and it just like was that was kind of the messaging throughout the entire course of the movie. I understood that. And I will say Ryan Gosling's character is Ken. He did such a phenomenal job because his sarcasm was so on point. I mean, he was really making himself to be the beta version of Ken, which I never really perceived Ken to be like a super beta guy. I thought he was like Barbie's hot boyfriend. I was like, oh, cool. Like, Ken, he's great. Uh, if, if Ryan Gosling is how Ken is actually supposed to be, then. Ken should not even exist because he's a pure embarrassment to every, every man everywhere. Uh, But it got to the point in the movie where I just was getting so frustrated at all of the politics that were inserted into this movie that I eventually just got up and left. Like I couldn't even sit through the entire movie. I left with maybe 10 minutes to go because I was just so aggravated. Um, But then I also realized after the fact that it's a PG 13 movie. So it's not even a movie that's necessarily meant for younger audiences. However, as we know, those are the audiences that have mostly gone to see this movie with their parents and, you know, that you have all the little girls dressing up as Barbie and getting into character. So I don't know. It's tough for me because I think if you are an adult and you go and see it and you realize that it's satire, no problem. But I have to imagine most of the kids that are going don't realize that it's meant to be taken in a sarcastic manner. And they're just absorbing it for all of the wrong reasons and probably coming out of it you know, misunderstanding what it's really supposed to mean. And then hopefully, hopefully not, but I'm sure a lot of them are taking that message with them and then inserting it into their actual lives. So I don't know. It was an it was a definite thumbs down for me. And uh I would discourage if, if anyone has any doubts whether you even want to see it or not, I would say don't bother, wait till you can see it for free because for $22, I feel like I wasted two hours of my life that I'll never get back. So there
1: you go. Long story long. <laughs> I, I So I, I tend to not go into things. I try to not go into anything with any like preconceived notion about mm-hmm. how I'm going to feel about it one way or the other. If it's satire, I'm totally fine with that. I honestly see the Barbie trailers, and they, it just does not look that appealing to me. I saw one trailer yeah. where Ryan Gosling looked pretty funny in one of the scenes with a doctor or something. I'm like, okay, I get what they're going for here with his yeah. character and how he's the butt of every joke. As Ken, okay, that that could be somewhat funny, um, but I, I don't know that I would be. Here's what would bother me about it: I would not be offended by anything that a Barbie movie, a Mattel movie, would say, you know, societally, politically, whatever. So that wouldn't bother me. But if everyone came out of it trying to draw some big statement from it, right? If it was turned into, man, this is a turning point. For the feminist movement in America, this Barbie movie in the box office, and every little girl needs to go see this because it's going to make them a stronger woman. That I don't know that it would offend me, but it would just annoy me if that was the big takeaway. I've seen a little bit of that, and I've heard a little bit of that on a podcast I listen to. That's like, man, this, this movie's really saying everything that's needed to be said for the last 70 years. I'm like, Barbie? Are we talking about Oppenheimer or Barbie? Because I feel like Oppenheimer is the one that probably says more about history and the future than Barbie. But people say that about Barbie. That does annoy me. I don't know that I could ever be offended, though.
2: Well, that's the thing, though, is I, I wanted to go into this movie and just have it be like a really cutesy movie, right? Like where it's like, oh, like I feel nostalgic. Like I remember playing with my Barbies and like acting this way when I played with them. Like I just wanted a really cute girly movie. Like that's all I was looking for. Because it's Barbie, right? I mean, come on. It's Barbie, but yeah. It was just so packed with all of these messages like you were referring to where they're like, no, this is what women should embody. This is what it actually should be. We should reject everything that you ever thought was associated with Barbie because it's actually the opposite of how you should be living your lives. Uh So that's where I got very lost and it just was not what I wanted out of the movie at all. And... Yeah, missed the mark for me.
0: If it's that controversial, I expect them to win awards. Uh,
2: well, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I saw yeah. today
1: that the front runners for supporting for best supporting actor <laughs> will be Robert Downey Jr. from Oppenheimer and Ryan Gosling from Barbie. That they are the two front runners right now in two very different movies and two very different performances. That Gosling may get nominated for an Oscar for his performance. Ryan Gosling though As was Kent. the
2: only part of that movie that I liked. Ryan Gosling actually because he It was the it was the females in the movie that I really didn't like because they were the ones who were like men, you suck, you know, you're being so masculine is bringing women down. Like women just constantly felt I felt like they were playing the victim throughout the entire movie. And to me, that's not that's not powerful. Like you playing the victim is not powerful. It's actually just lame and weak. And as a woman, I don't associate myself with a victim. I feel like if there's something I want to accomplish. I'll do whatever I need to to get there. I don't need to tear down a man in front of me to get there. And that's what this movie felt like for me. Ryan Gosling, on the other hand, though, he was so committed to playing the role of as the weak man that it was just coming out of his mouth. Every line was complete sarcasm uh, because let's be honest, most men, I hope, you know, if any of you are out there listening or watching, then you need to change your ways immediately. Uh, but I don't think most men perceive themselves as being like the like most beta in the room and just like I'm here to bow down to women. And, you know, it's like, come on, that's not that's that's not how most men conduct their lives or they, or at least they shouldn't. Uh, so Ryan Gosling actually was phenomenal. He was my favorite part of the movie. If he wins the supporting actor award, I would be all for that.
1: Barbie made $93 million in its second weekend at the box office. Oppenheimer made another 46 million. Disney's haunted mansion, a movie that cost (laughs) over $200 million to make made 24 million in week one at the box office. This was the opening
2: weekend. Okay. This is
1: continuing the cold streak, but Disney movies that have just Um, absolutely tanked.
0: I was reading over the weekend and it, it was just like a paragraph long, uh, synopsis, uh, Mattel is looking into forming their own studio. Uh, There's a huge variety uh, article
1: about this. They have 27 movies under development, including Ah. Tom Hanks playing Major Matt Mason, which was a toy, which was the inspiration for Buzz Lightyear. So Woody, Tom Hanks, who played Woody in Toy Story, is going to play Major Matt Mason, which was the inspiration for Buzz Lightyear. There's going to be a Polly Pocket movie that's being made. There's a Barney movie.
2: Coming oh, out with
1: Daniel Kaluuya. God. I mean, Mattel has just opened it up and said, we, which is brilliant if it continues to work out like this, we want to be the marvel of movies. All of our toys are fair game. All of our board games are up. Like Let's bring Hollywood in and let them create some creative movie ideas with stars around our toys and games. And that's going to be the new thing.
2: I love the idea of that. I think branding yourself as you know, something new and exciting is, is awesome. I just would advise them don't go down the road that Disney did and try to recreate everything because some things are left the way they are. And even though times have changed in certain senses, I get it. Don't try to change everything for the sake of appeasing everyone or appealing to Hollywood or Hollywoke as many call it now. You know what I mean? Like it's just leave things the way they are. And then if there's some great new ideas that come about where, you know, you're able to appease the people who are so upset and up in arms about every little thing as it pertains to entertainment these days, then, you know, go down that road there. But I just I just hate how everything is is getting turned from how it was to how people think it should be now. Um, I would just if Mattel's going to go down that road, just be authentic about it. Let's not try to you know do the diversity inclusion thing every step of the way
0: i bet they'll play the hits and have barbie too. you know ken's revenge or something uh before anything else I saw based on that, the box uh, yeah
1: greta gerwig claims that she doesn't want to do a sequel but i'm like i bet there's enough money out there to convince her to write and direct <laughs> a sequel that's uh, based on I the money this is made sure. like there's no way they're not going to milk this yeah. with three or four it's sequels a at some point it's a hit. Yep. charlie uh final 30 seconds here are you coming to
0: nashville this weekend for ufc
2: I am. Awesome. I will be there. I'm so excited, you know, get to experience a little bit more of the the southern culture of Nashville and you know uh cover some good UFC fights along the way.
0: Looking forward to it. I'm I'm hoping to be in attendance there, so it should be fun. Uh look forward to it. Thanks for the time. Okay. As always. Very special guest, Charlie Ardell.
1: Very special guest has been with us here on Thank Hot you, Mike.
0: Charlie. Uh Chad, coming up, AI and not how- Alan Iverson no
1: artificial intelligence just not to uh, confuse the the listener unfortunately
0: or not alan iverson we're not going to talk about practice alan iverson up. isn't calling uh you know golf and tennis but ai maybe and you may have already seen it or heard it and you didn't know it oh, this based on really wimbledon and the masters makes my blood boil we've got audio for you next and where it's headed versus where they say it stops
1: which I'm not buying. I will boil worse than Saturday when I was boiling with heat exhaustion when we come back.
0: AI has already been involved in highlights for Wimbledon and the Masters, and I had no idea. And I'm talking about calling what we're seeing in a highlight package. That's next on Hot Mike with Huddingwood Pro. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. Coming up, we have an update on the Pac-12 meteorite still that is set to be at least proposed to presidents and chancellors across their conference with details there. Plus, Sean Payton has been asked about Aaron Rodgers' comments as well. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow rolls on. Chad, this story from NBC, I've, I had to read it twice. Like, I was like, are, are you serious? So, headline here, that sports broadcaster you hear could be AI. And... I'm thinking, okay, uh, let's hear what, you know, is perceived to be in the future. No, it's already happened. It's already been, uh, integrated and it's, it's based on IBM and a contract they have with, uh, Wimbledon specifically, but also the, the U S open coming up for tennis, where they have highlight packages that are released after matches. Uh, same happened with the masters and it's not a human being that's actually, giving you the details of the highlight you're watching. This is uh, from the Masters this past year. Listen into the voice. Substraka, 28 years old from Austria, is going to hit from the pine straw on hole one. He took stroke two and the ball traveled 162 yards into the greenside bunker. Yeah, so there's the artificial intelligence for the Masters with golf. And it's happened at Wimbledon too. It's going to happen at the US Open. And well, while we hear the monotone uh, zero Emotion, and effect to the play-by-play. Uh, the industry insiders are saying it's going to stop at the highlights, but Chad, who's to say where it stops at this point? I don't know what to believe, and I'm certainly believing more of those that are integrating this into the programming more than I am those who say oh, it'll never happen. It's never going to surpass the human being. I mean, the the uh, networks now are currently having. Broadcasters stay back and call games from a studio, which is far different from the being in person, seeing it on the field, being able to see and survey things on the sideline. That same detail isn't there in many of the games we're already watching, and they're not saying where they are on purpose. This would go a step further with just portraying whatever this is as just nap time, which is background music anyway for anyone taking a nap on a Sunday afternoon, the PGA Tour.
1: What is life on earth if not involving humans? If not about human emotion, human work, human attachment to something, the the whole thing. I I don't know about everyone else out there, but when I watch or listen to my sports, I like the idea that an actual human being is on the other side of the microphone telling me what's happening or explaining things or telling me stories. And even if that leads to someone misspeaking at times – or saying the wrong thing. I love all of it. Why? Because it's a human doing it. We need to get back to humanity and away from AI. This will probably be stripped from YouTube for me saying this uh-huh. in some way. We've got to get away with it. Not Alan Iverson. Big fan of his. But artificial intelligence is going to be the demise of so many things. Sure, technology can help in a lot of ways to make our lives better. This is not one of them. I'm not hearing this. I'm not hearing a Wimbledon highlight or a golf highlight or an NBA highlight or anything else that's done by AI and thinking, man, that really enriched my experience with that bit of highlight or that bit of video or whatever it is. I I'd prefer someone get paid to do it. I'm pro-jobs always have been. I like it when humans have jobs. I like when they have to go somewhere and work every day. I like when people have some sort of responsibility or assignment or some belonging in society other than waking up and having a robot do everything for them. I'm a very simple man in these ways. Death to AI when it comes to sports programming, when it comes to creative ventures, all of it. I am anti all of this. I hated the sound of that voice, and I don't want to hear it again.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, you're, you could hear it 20,000 times on the Masters app because it, it has been trained, this AI here has been trained for commentary, a language model specific to golf, and how to deliver insights. And this is all in real time. They just post this, and they have AI just describe what it is. And then they've, they've done this, uh, according to NBC, uh, they, they generated golf narration for more than 20,000 video clips on the Masters app. That's insane. And then the quote, Chad, you'll love. Well, hate, but, you know, hate to love uh, here. Uh, we're not trying to replace humans. We're, trying, we're, not, we're not trying to overly humanize the voices that we use, uh, acting like, oh, everyone should be able to tell this is just synthetic. Okay. Uh, but they're also saying that they're replacing the tedious parts of the job for broadcasters, where what would take an hour of quick uh, narrative after the the round has finished, now they just you know clip it and post it, mm, sure. And they have the uh, the computer brains do the play by play.
1: Well, here's the other thing that was just play by play over highlights, right?
0: Yeah, it was like a highlight package. No, it's just one shot. They're they're going shot by shot over certain holes in the Masters is what they did. Uh, with AI commentary. So the, the, the non-featured pairings or whatever, you can go on the Masters app and follow your favorite golfer and watch the shots, and then you have AI narrate what what you're watching.
1: I'm willing to bet that our buddy Ned Michaels, who works in golf, would have loved to have spent a couple of hours doing that sure. every day at the end of a round, getting paid a little bit of money. Didn't have to be a lot. Get paid a little bit of money to do that, and put his voice on masters.com on a highlight package. So I don't buy that BS. One bit. Oh, we're just saving the broadcasters. They don't yeah. want to do this tedious it's- work for an hour. You know what broadcasters want to do? Broadcast. That's what they do. They want to call games, they want to talk about them, they want to broadcast sporting events. No, this is not anything that's saving anyone. It's saving this company money. That's what it's doing. And
0: they're saying that, that's all we're doing. If a tennis tournament money. had 14 matches, that quote, that would require 14 production crews, 14 sets of commentators, all to do original commentary. That's not really how media companies choose to produce events these days. I mean, that's, a, that's true. They want the top two, and then they're reducing. It's more than just the broadcaster. reducing all of the crew and the truck and everything that's involved there, which is just insanity for where we're headed. Uh, but, yeah, they have, they've got the, the contract to do it for the U.S. Open, win tennis. So buckle up. Get ready. Hate it. Same. And I didn't even know it was a thing until now. It was already being implemented. And who knows where we're headed with it, Chad?
1: Yep. Pro-jobs over here. Pro-jobs, not pro-robot. Yeah. Chad, That's GBT, mean.
0: who's writing certain uh, you know, apologies for John Morant, who's writing the story you're reading at certain websites. You know, okay. SI tried it. They did like a game recap and admitted they were trying this out.
1: I mean, this is someone, I watch Westworld, and we're supposed to sympathize to yeah. the robots in that story, and I never did. I still rooted for the humans, even as awful <laughs> as they were. I was hoping the humans would kill all the robots the entire time. all of them, Even the robots I liked. And I liked some of the robots. I wanted them all to die when the humans got a hold of them. There's a uh,
0: a wife that wanted her husband to die, a uh, former Auburn long snapper. Feel-good story of the week. Oh, uh, no doubt. Down in the Bahamas, um, Lindsay Shiver uh, was married to Robert Shiver, and they had an investigation which they, the police in the Bahamas were able to uncover this plot on a murder-for-hire plot to kill Robert, her husband, um, and I'm sure it was over infidelity, but she's a mother of three, and...
1: Well, according to the story, it's her infidelity.
0: That's what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, it was her, her boyfriend that she tried to get with. Yeah, conspire so she with. could leave.
0: Yeah. She could leave and keep everything. And the money. I'm sure that uh, you know, Keith Morrison with Dateline will have a inside <laughs> scoop on this uh, throughout all of the uh, <laughs> all of the affairs and the plot and the insurance money that she was hoping to keep based on whatever she was charging or whatever she was paying that the uh, the hitmen were were charging to go out and, and kill this guy. But they found it like through surveying um a different case and they came across her phone that led to the whatsapp and that's how they linked everything together through the guys that she was talking to to kill her husband in the bahamas gotta be uh head on the swivel there can you imagine being the person where you find out from law enforcement that there's a murder for hire plot behind the scenes for you
1: so is is whatsapp the one, I mean, is this something that's very, it's all encrypted? Yeah. That's why people like, because I've seen multiple stories of criminal undertakings that are unfurled because people were using WhatsApp. So it doesn't seem to be as foolproof as everyone thinks. Yeah.
0: Or, you know, they, it's not foolproof because of whatever's on the other phone. You know, if they're, if they're searching these other guys for whatever they've done, you know, criminals for whatever they're investigated for.
1: I, I think that encryption and us thinking about encryption is a way for people to feel better about things they're sending. I'm pretty sure there's a way that if the authorities wanted to get into anything, they probably could. Well, it's just more. I di- think more that's difficult just more of than a than personal security blanket for people. Let's yeah, go to this I've never used it. it. I,
0: I no, I mean certain people chat on there all the time uh, just, on uh, WhatsApp. Yeah, just on their day-to-day work life. You know, instead of just doing it on their phone, that way their phone's not ringing off the hook. You know, or chiming, or yeah, whatever. Yeah,
1: it's, it's very useful for work groups.
0: Apparently, not useful for whatever Lindsay Shiver was trying to accomplish it, here.
1: Murder for hire, not as useful. <laughs> but work groups, it can be very productive.
0: Yeah, she's. Uh, they they had a separation uh, that Robert found out about. Uh, they, I, the I the separation the, came from whatever the whoever she was banging at the time that yeah. they separated. And Some then, dude in the Bahamas. Then the plot. Then the plot started here. So
1: Yeah, they have a house in the Bahamas, and it was like a neighbor or some, someone in the Bahamas that where this all started. I also love when they find their search results, like the woman who faked her own abduction. Oh, and then what
0: they were searching for? Like <laughs> she, was pre-meditation. Searching,
1: she was searching for, like, Taken. Yeah. You know, there were things <laughs> around that. I love when people are searching, you know, like, what, what is the best app to be encrypted <laughs> to try to get my husband killed <laughs> if she was actually typing yeah. that
0: into Google? Murder by... Cyanide poisoning.
1: Murder by Bahamian man. (laughs) Cheap. (laughs) affordable,
0: Affordable murder for hire plot. On
1: credit. Like Who takes Capital One? (laughs) They're just getting very specific about how they're going to make it happen. How much antifreeze do I put in a coffee? Right. What's a lethal (laughs) amount of coolant
0: (laughs) that can make this happen? Not for a cat.
1: We want to speed this thing up. Not for a small animal. Did I tell you about the time my dog was... Uh, intentionally poisoned with antifreeze and killed
0: no what, no but i had a dog I, murdered. I vaguely remember this was it a neighbor that did this? my dog
1: ben a chow a bit of a hothead like most chows mm. were attacked one of my uh buddy's little brothers that was messing with him one day okay that was scary um and then uh came back home one day had half of another dog's tail in his mouth <laughs> I, you cannot make this stuff up. Got into a fight, got into a scrape in the neighborhood behind us. Hopefully not the same family. Tore tore the tail off this dog, and always went back and just messed around in this neighborhood. Just went and asserted the alpha mm-hmm. dominance. Ben is no Ken doll. Yeah, and then you know, <laughs> a, a week later, mysteriously went back into the woods that went to the neighborhood, and then comes home and dies of antifreeze poisoning after tearing the dog's tail off. That's brutal.
0: Was it? Did they approach your? They approach your like household about. They do something about Ben, or no? They
1: just killed killed Ben. Wow! Put him down on their own. There were no conversations about it. And again, this is total speculation by me. I just don't think it's all a coincidence. Oh no, that this happened, and no, then that they, they,
0: happened, yeah. and there was a murder for hire plot. Maybe it
1: was. Yeah, maybe this woman actually, this was very young. She decided to do this. She probably was not alive when this happened. Actually,
0: Chad, we were uh, we had the conversation about when Pat McAfee was joining ESPN, how much ESPN would try to, uh, curtail certain comments made, uh, how open he's going to be there versus where he was on his current show. And there's certainly a case to be made for how this would happen if this happened on ESPN airwaves, instead of on Twitter, uh, where he's got one of his producers who tweeted out, uh, the, a photo of Michigan state. And the ugly uniforms, uh, and he, Evan Fox, one of the producers, says, I still can't believe Michigan State thought it was okay to roll these uniforms, roll out these uniforms, and then McAfee responded and said, "I think Nasser was in on the design team, actually, Larry Nasser, who's, of course, uh, a wasn't he recently horrible beaten oh, in, yes. in prison, and, no, too? shanked, stabbed, they got stabbed, yeah, uh, which no one was upset about, yeah, um, yeah, it, so." The question would be, is he deleting this tweet? He's going to have to say anything about this. He's joking, but at the same time, like that is something that they would not touch at ESPN.
1: I just saw a headline from OutKick that apparently today or just now that said he kind of apologized, but didn't really apologize. And then he went into some other joke bit after that. Um, I, I I don't know. It, it's clearly a joke. Like I guess Larry Nasser's a name that you can't mention. In a joke, I mean, or something. I, I d- did not offend me, but you're right. It is a good example of will he be forced to do something now that he's at ESPN that he would not have had to do anything before. Sean Payton was asked about Aaron Rodgers' comments.
0: We've got that plus more next.